Script Pipeline reviews screenplays and TV pilots to connect writers with Hollywood's top producers and managers. For over 20 years, the company has helped launch the writing careers of some of the industry's brightest talent, resulting in spec sales totaling over $7 million. Learn more at scriptpipeline.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we will be talking about finding stability as a nascent TV writer, as well as moving up the ladder from script coordinator to staff writer with a very special guest. Yeah, we have Julia Yorks, writer on Puss in Boots, Skylanders Academy, and Trolls the Beat Goes On, and now developing a TV series with Freeform. Welcome, Julia. Yay, thanks yeah. guys for having me. Thanks for being here. Very exciting. Let's get started. So first up, just tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you end up in the industry and in LA? Okay, so I am from New Hope, Pennsylvania, which is a small town outside of Philadelphia. Basically, after high school, I went to a boarding school in New Jersey, but I was a day student, so it's not as exciting. Uh, but the point being that I gap years were fairly common. And so I ended up taking a year off and I deferred from Northwestern and I moved to Los Angeles because I have always acted ever since I was a little kid. I've had a lot of, not a lot, but I've had smaller parts in very large things. And so I was like, I'm going to move out here and I'm going to audition and it's going to be amazing. And it was 2007. And so it was the writer's strike. (laughs) So I have impeccable timing. Everything was shut down. I basically, I called Northwestern and I was like, can you take me actually? And they were like, (laughs) how this works. And so I was out here. I worked two jobs. At, I worked at the Abercrombie and Fitch in the Grove that used to be there. Ooh. I worked at BLT Steak that used to be there. And I interned at a production company and I started reading everything that I possibly could script wise. And they gave me good scripts and bad scripts. And I was doing a lot of coverage and I'd always been a writer, but not as much a screenwriter. And at the time, I lived over by the Grove and not in Park La Brea. And I, uh, <laughs> this is what everybody says. <laughs> and I would walk to the Barnes and Noble like on a daily basis and bring my computer and bring my own tea bag and ask Starbucks for hot water because wow. I was just dead broke. And I would grab Save the Cat and I would read it and I would use the beat sheets, but I never have bought it still to this day. <laughs> and uh, I just was writing. And so, Uh, when the year was up, I went to Northwestern and as soon as I got there, I was freezing. And so I transferred to USC and I was uh, a history major and a screenwriting minor. So that is kind of, And that kids is how Barnes and Noble went out of business. (laughs) (laughs) The one in the Grove is still there. So So far, so far. Um, Did you have any specific films or TV shows that you grew up with that were the inspirations for you being in this industry? Yeah, I watched everything. My dad and I are so similar in which we can watch the same movies over and over and over again. My favorite movie is A Few Good Men, which is on TNT or USA or, (laughs) you know, TBS once a month. But we really, it was like The Fugitive and Double Jeopardy and, you know, Along Came a Spider and The Pelican Brief and all of those 90s thrillers that would today be made as TV shows. We watched all the time. Of course, shows like Lost and 
24 and prison break. You know, it's so funny. My dad at some points worked night works. He was a, or he was a carpenter when I was growing up and he had some nighttime moves that he would do. And we basically, we would either VCR the show and watch it the next day as a family, or I would watch it with my mom. And then the next day when he got home from work, if he like couldn't wait to watch the episode, he would watch it. And then he would call me at school to talk about what happened. And that continued (laughs) even like when I was in college, you know, and we still do it to this day for Survivor, which is Uh, (laughs) my favorite I love Survivor, so we can talk about it. I like it in this podcast. I can't wait. This episode is just going to become about Survivor. (laughs) Yes. my favorite show. We talked about Survivor in a past episode recently because of right. Fiji. That person shot a show wrecked in Fiji. Oh, and that yeah. was during the time of the cyclone that impacted millennials versus Gen X for the wow. Survivor buffs. Oh, that is crazy. Yeah. That is, well, this one had a cyclone too yes. this season. I apologize to all of our non Survivor <laughs> listening. <laughs> That's your own fault for not watching it. <laughs> yeah. So were you always interested in animation or did you just sort of stumble into that as you were going through the industry? I really stumbled into everything, to be totally honest. Like I said, I was at USC. I was a screenwriting minor and I was in a screenwriting class where I wrote the first act of a feature. And it was like a very fun, like pitch perfect E feature. And I was really proud of it. And there was a woman in my class and that person was Hillary Levi, who you guys have actually had on the podcast before. <laughs> yeah. And about a year and a half later, I'd been tutoring and, you know, I was like just miserable and, uh, uh, but really trying to, to keep writing and, and maintain enough money to stay out here and pursue that. And I'm at a USC tailgate and Hillary comes up to me and she says, did you ever finish that script? And I was like, yeah, I I did. She goes, cool. I'm an assistant at this big agency and I want to give it to my boss. And two weeks later, I was wrapped. A month later, we went out with it with the producer who I'd interned with on my year off attached and it didn't sell. Unfortunately, even though every time the phone rang for about four months, I was like, hello, (laughs) hello. (laughs) Um, And, but I went on kind of the general meeting tour and the last stop on that tour was at DreamWorks Animation. And after that meeting, they brought me on as the script coordinator on Puss in Boots. So I, I really did, all my samples had been live action. Everything that I really watched, uh, all my inspiration had been live action. So it was definitely something that I tripped and fell into. <laughs> <laughs> so you just brought up the fact that you were a script coordinator on Puss in Boots. Can you run through the duties and responsibilities of that job for those people who don't know? Yeah. So in animation, or at least where I was at DreamWorks, it was very much a writer's assistant position with, you know, a little bit of production as well. So my least favorite part of the job, which was probably the most important part of the job, was that you had to go to all the records, which that I loved. But at the records, you were the ones taking notes. So these are the, you know, the actor records of the episode. And it's just such a time consuming process to take all of these notes and you are like the most focused person in the room. Everyone else is having so much fun and you're responsible for, you know, if the showrunner says that's the take we want, you have to make sure that that is the take that he gets. And that is the biggest part of it. I had the best boss ever on Puss in Boots. And so 
I wasn't really his assistant. So when I wasn't doing that kind of production stuff, I was either in the room with everybody and essentially I was treated like I was a writer. I was able to input my own ideas and I was encouraged to submit premises that he could look over. But the rest of the time I just spent writing my own stuff. And in that year and a half that I was a script coordinator, I had like five completed either pilots or features or things that I could then go out with, which was great. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, that's an anomaly, I think. So sorry <laughs> if position, you're yeah. in a script coordinator position <laughs> and it's really hard. <laughs> so for other people out there who are either script coordinators or wanting to do that role, what are some kind of tips or do's and don'ts that you found from from doing it? Hmm. I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I was a really good script coordinator. <laughs> I think that I just wanted to write and to be a part of the world where the writing was happening. I think that it's it's such a thankless job and as long as the writers and the showrunner and everyone in production like are good people, they make it worth it and better. I don't know. Do people like want to just be script coordinators? I feel like everyone who is a script coordinator wants to be either a writer or in production or for sure, you yeah. know, yeah, there's, there's definitely a risk of, especially I feel like script coordinating is such a, a technical job that yeah. a lot of people end up doing SC work for a decade or so. Yeah. They, they fall into that trap. They always need someone with experience. It's yeah. true. There's the good ones. Well, it's so funny too, because when I was there, at DreamWorks at the time, it was just when they had, now they have a ton of shows that are on the air and on Netflix. But when I was there, I think there were only three or four shows. And so I remember my first day as the script coordinator, <laughs> basically everyone was like, hey, here's your desk, get to it. And I was like, get to what? And I remember <laughs> asking the girl next to me, who was the other script coordinator, being like, what do you do? And she was like, honestly, I'm kind of winging it. And she was like, I basically got all my templates from this other girl who sits over there. Who's been here the longest, the longest being like two weeks longer than we had been there. And so we all got up and went over to hers and she was like, well, this is just how I do it. And then honestly, her system became, it's now how they do it for every show because it was just kind of learned behavior. I don't know. I had so much time as a script coordinator. And I just know that that is not what most have. You also make zero money and that is very difficult. More money for assistance. That's yeah, like, absolutely. yeah, it's rough. It was definitely a hard time because I, you're so close to what you want to be doing and that's so thrilling. But after you're there for a year or a year and a half, you're like, it's it's so close that you can taste it, which is good and bad. Yeah. Were there maybe any lessons that you learned from that that you were able to take into being a writer, whether it's witnessing the production process or seeing how it goes down the room? Yeah. I mean, I was also very lucky. Like I said, the writers in the room were super supportive of me. And the main thing that I learned, and I think this is a lot in terms of writing for animation, is that you really have to fill out the action. I was so used to writing live action where it's like, if you have more than four lines, uh, you know, four action lines, then people won't read your script. You know, it doesn't pass the universal readers test. And this is so much different because you are basically setting up this scene and so much of the action is physical action. So much of the comedy is physical comedy that you have to, to write in. So that was definitely a cool thing to learn. Another cool thing, as much as I 
really loved my work at the records. Being in the records was so magical and getting to hear the words just brought to life by such talented people who can be having a conversation with you one minute and the next minute be talking in this crazy voice. Like it's, it was just so incredible. And I really think that that informed my writing. I remember like my first, all of my scripts really on the show, I would, as I was typing, I would like pretend the voice, like I would do my own version (laughs) of the voice and just hearing what suited the actors better. Like that just really helped me write better dialogue for the show, I think. So to that, can you walk us through that process of getting that first TV script? How did you get it? Were you nervous? What was your process? Yeah. So I, I think I was terrified, but I had, you know, one thing that I will say to younger writers, or if you're an assistant position, I think it's very important to always let the people in power know what your end game is. And I was very clear about that, that I want it to be a writer on this show or another show. And you don't beat them over the head with that because then it's obnoxious, but no one can read your mind and no one is going to look out for your best interests in the way that you can. And so just making sure that you talk to the executives and talking to the showrunner and talking to the writers and that everyone is on the same page of what your career trajectory is going to be. I think that's really important. And so after I had done that and established that, I was always encouraged, but I also did it on my own where I would come up with different story ideas. I was, like I said, it was a very collaborative room. I was very welcomed into the room. But it was constantly like, I have an idea for an episode. Let me write a premise, give it to my boss, see what he says. And honestly, that took, I didn't get my first episode until I think season two. And so I had a lot of premises that were rejected or like, hey, we're not ready for this right now, but we'll save it for later. And so it's really just not giving up because you ultimately know the show better than any of the other writers because you get kind of exposed to more facets of the process. So yeah. And writing the actual script, I had a lot of support from the writers. Like I said, I think they all volunteered to read it before I sent it to our boss. And at the end of the day, it's like, I knew the show. I knew the characters. I was ready for the opportunity. And I listened to the feedback and critiques that I had gotten from my coworkers. So you mentioned you did a lot of writing while you were kind of doing the script coordinator job. How did you find the time for that? And what was your kind of like ritual in your process? Again, my first experience in a room or on a show, Puss in Boots was the best job I will ever have. My boss was lovely and he had worked on so many shows and he basically knew what he wanted and also had this thing where he used to say, you know, I can't be with people for more than two hours at a time. (laughs) And so our rooms were very short. And honestly, a lot of the times the writers weren't even there. They would kind of come and go. And so I would go into their office and I would just write my own stuff. And I, I made sure that I did my job to the best of my ability, but also just making sure that I made the most of the time that I had, because it could have been a very boring, tedious job in which I was just chilling in the hallway all day. But instead, I kind of made it into a, no, you have to have these goals. You have to be productive. This is time that needs to be well spent. And how were the episodes broken on your show? Is it sort of like a freelance style? Did people, as you pointed out, write from home or was there a room? Yeah. So we had a room, especially in the beginning. I mean, so basically 
The show was bought for 78 episodes off the bat. So by the time we were on our sixth season and I was a writer on three of them, we knew these characters, we knew the stories, we just, we knew how to do it. It was pretty seamless. In the beginning, it was a lot more room time and every season we would do these like retreats where we would go to an offsite location for two days and just brainstorm all the ideas that we could and different characters. And in the beginning of the show, I think for most of the show, it was very much of an episodic, like almost monster of the week type thing. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I don't know, it was just really fun. I remember my, my boyfriend always likes to, <laughs> to remind me of this time that I came home once and I was like, my task for the week is I have to come up with 10 monsters. And he was like, <laughs> can we switch jobs? <laughs> so how did you handle kind of going out for general meetings and pitches and trying to get other writing jobs while you had this full-time script coordinator job? Again, like I said, everyone was very supportive, so that was helpful. I think I went out a lot less when I was a script coordinator. I went out a lot more frequently when I was a staffed writer because we had a a lot more of a flexible schedule on that particular show. Breakfast meetings, drinks, uh, (laughs) lunches where you're like, I got to be back at a certain time. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's difficult, but I think that that's kind of with any full-time job that you have while you're trying to pursue some creative endeavor that's on the side, you always have days off and you can call in sick if something really big happens, or you can take a half day, like you can make it work. And do you have any specific advice for our listeners about ways of handling a general meeting? I love to talk. So I think that I'm it comes very easily. I think, I think that, you know, and I think a lot of writers will say this, that you end up having sort of canned stories because you're, you're asked the same questions a lot. I think that when I first started, I was like, who are these people that I'm going to meet? And they're just all people who want to make cool stuff and are looking for the next voices to do that. And so you're finding commonalities with people, uh, if all else fails, talk about TV and movies, like talk about <laughs> what it is where like, what's your favorite show and find something in that way that you can relate on. But I don't know. I think it's just telling your story and that sh- usually should be enough. I feel like. So how do you go from being a script coordinator and tackling a couple <laughs> of freelance scripts to then transitioning into that full-time staff writer position? I just got very lucky that it became available, like there became openings on the show. But to be honest, you know, when I first went into the script coordinator position, I was kind of told like, hey, you're going to be here for a year and then we're going to promote you. And then that didn't happen because there weren't any openings. And so it was a little terrifying. And so I kind of started putting out the feelers onto other shows. I had execs who had read my stuff, who had, you know, brought me on after knowing that I had an agent and that I had a script that almost sold. And so they were very supportive as well. Like we're looking for other things to put you on too. And I always knew that I, I wanted to be a writer on Puss in Boots because it just seemed like the best job. And I loved the characters, but I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a writer. And so luckily the opportunity just became available. And did your outlook change at all when you transitioned into that full writer mode, essentially, as opposed to sort of juggling also being an essay? I mean, I could finally, like, afford shoes. So that, <laughs> that was really nice. I think that I definitely felt 
like I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to let everyone know that they didn't make the wrong decision. But at the same time, I wanted to just keep doing the work that I was doing because I know that I was doing it well enough before to get me moved into that position. I also, you know, I felt vindicated or something. I felt like validated and I just, I was just really happy and felt lucky to be in that position. I think what I've learned since that job is that it's great to celebrate your successes. And I think that's important, but it's also important not to have your self-worth be predicated on whether or not you do get that job because a job will not keep you warm at night. So that is something that I, I think is really important to remember, but it was a really big milestone for me and it um, was really exciting. And just to brief aside for a second, you're also an actress. So how do you balance that with your writing career? Yeah. So I kind of just always feel like I want to follow the momentum. And so for me, the past couple of years, writing has really been my momentum. It is really funny because I will go on auditions from time to time. And it's such a different experience when you've had generals where people are like, oh my gosh, I read your work and I want to sit down and talk with you for an hour and let's tell me everything about your life. <laughs> and I'll walk into an audition and be like, hi, like it's me. <laughs> and they're like, great, do your lines? Okay, thank you. And then you leave and you're like, wait, but don't you want to know more about, like, don't you want to have a conversation? <laughs> it's just like, that's, I did, that's definitely been a, been a funny uh, side effect of it. Uh, but I think that it's been helpful too because the only way in – I've always been a, a big kind of proponent of the idea that if you can't get in the door, climb in through a window. And I think that this is kind of a window into to that as well. But yeah, I'm just kind of going wherever the wind takes me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was it like being shot by a sniper rifle? <laughs> On <laughs> Jack Reacher. <laughs> Painful. No, I'm kidding. It was one of the better experiences of my life. Being uh, shot by a sniper rifle. Yeah. It was so much fun. I not not that specifically, but just the whole experience yeah, of yeah. Jack Reacher. From start to finish, it was it was really cool. Even the audition process. Like I auditioned the movie shoots in in Pittsburgh and and so they were casting that part particularly from Pittsburgh and being a local hire, because I'm from the Philly area, I did an audition on tape. But then when it came down to like the callbacks with Chris McQuarrie and Don Granger, the director and producer in the room, I was like, I want this so badly. And so on my own dime, I flew to Pittsburgh. And I was the first audition, I think they were seeing basically all of the callbacks that day. And I had a 20 minute conversation with the two of them about everything about USC, about writing. I was a history major. Like we just chatted and then they were like, oh, I guess you should audition now. <laughs> and I left and I was like, I got it. Like I got that. And, and I did. And they were just, everyone on set was so amazing and so wonderful. And yeah, it was just, it was really fun. That's it was great. really dying. <laughs> dying was fun. Dying was wonderful. Yeah. Are you aware that you have an entry on Cinemorg, the Wikipedia of all movie tests? No. I didn't even know that was a thing, but apparently it is. <laughs> we'll link it in the show notes for people to look at. My, my 
boyfriend made a, a gif of it that is really embarrassing because it's just me like running and then falling. And like, <laughs> just sends it to you every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> put it on the put it on the Instagram. No, yeah. it's uh, and uh, can we expect a uh, cameo from Hostage Girl in the new Glass movie? <laughs> you know, I can't say. I actually can't say. So you should go see it. Yeah. NDAs. Yeah. So speaking of uh, being shot by a sniper rifle, what was it like getting a job on Skylanders Academy and riding on that show? Hopefully it's not a similar experience. Yes. No, it was great. It was so fun. I got the job through one of the execs who is the now fiance of one of my boyfriend's childhood friends. And they were looking for more female animation writers. And she was like, your girlfriend does that, right? And I sent in my samples and... The experience of Skylanders, actually, it's so funny because, again, my boyfriend, I keep bringing him up, but he always is like, how much money has that connection made you? Because it's true. Every job, especially with freelance, really begets the next job. And so the original showrunner of that show left to do another show, and he brought me on to do freelance for that show. And then recently when that show ended, he had two friends who are both working on two different shows and referred me to them. And now I'm going to work on their show. So it's honestly like that show was the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) And if it comes back for a fourth season, I would love to write for them again because it's just really fun. Writing freelance is such a different animal. And I think that it is easier and a lot more fun because you're given in some cases, a pretty in-depth story outline almost to follow. And you're just throwing in some fun set pieces and actions and just making it your own. Yeah. I don't know. I have a blast and I can usually write those scripts, those 30 page scripts in about a week. And it's just easy fun. What was it like writing for uh, those characters from these video games? Did you grow up playing like Spyro, Crash Bandicoot, that kind of thing? I had two video games as a child. I had the Rugrats video game <laughs> and I had Spyro the Dragon. Nice. So it was really fun. It's embarrassing, but I would play Spyro, both of the games had like kind of scary parts. And so that like you'd go into this dark cavern and, and then I would stop playing because I really didn't like it. I don't like when things pop out at me. So I, I don't think I played as much as like a true Spyro the Dragon fan, <laughs> but it was fun. Like I knew the characters. So that was, that was cool. I think I remember that Rugrats video game. Yeah. Like running around the house, like collecting these like items or things. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, And there's like a clown doll that follows Chucky at one point. And that's when I, (laughs) that's where I drew the line. But yeah, it's true. (laughs) And what was your experience working on the trolls? The beat goes on. It was fun. You know, it was such a big property for DreamWorks. So I think that we had so many like more eyes on the show than maybe we would have had for Puss in Boots or Skylanders. Maybe they had more eyes, but I was freelance, so I didn't really know. But I think that the finished product of the show is really great. It's super adorable. And it was fun. It was a fun, like, it was my first time writing 11-minute episodes, which is very different because you really have to compound an entire story arc into one little compact package. And I think that that took some getting used to for sure to figure out like there aren't really B stories. You know, you can't really rely heavily on comedic dialogue. It's a lot about the action and the physical comedy. Um, And so I think that that is definitely a cool 
skill that I learned. So especially with DreamWorks, I guess, these days it feels like a lot of um, children's TV is based on these big IPs and these characters Mm -hmm. that everyone's familiar with. What are your thoughts on that as opposed to perhaps more uh, original children's TV content? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, like I said, I was never – I fell into animation, so I never really had a lot of original kids' animated ideas except for one. I had one that I loved, and – it was really hard to pitch because, you know, even the freelance shows that I'm going on to or the ones that I've done, it's all based on IP, be it toys or old shows. It's really hard to pitch original kids concepts because the money is in the, the products. So I think that that's difficult, but I think that's also difficult in live action TV too. Everything is rebooted. Everyone wants a comic book that, you know, and it's really hard for younger, newer writers to have the rights to those things. You know, everything, everything good is taken immediately. So yeah, I don't know. I think that it's definitely a tricky field to navigate. And to that point about the the business being its own beast, how do you navigate building a career as a writer, especially when it comes to branding and avoiding being pigeonholed as one thing as opposed to another? That's been really hard. I think, you know, when I first started writing, all of my samples were so different. I had my Pitch Perfect-esque feature. I had, you know, a female buddy comedy. I had an indie family drama. I had a 30-minute kind of weeds-esque dramedy. I was really all over the map in terms of if I had an idea that I loved, I would just write it. And I think that in the beginning, that was great for meeting people because we had a lot of different samples to give a lot of different people. But at a certain point, people want you in a box. It's easy to think of you as a this writer or that writer. And for me, that box well, one became animation because of my work, but from my personal original content ended up becoming like female driven sci-fi or genre stuff. And being in that box has really helped me a lot. Like, I don't want to say to limit yourself again, because I had a lot of different samples, but I think it's important to have two or three that say, this is who I want to be as a writer. And that's malleable. That can change. But let's market yourself as something so that you can get on the path to being where you want to be. For me, it was really difficult to jump from the animation box to the live action sci-fi genre box. And I'm only just doing that now after a lot of tears and unemployment. So. Can you talk about the steps that you took to get to that point? Yeah. I mean, so uh, I just, I had some really strong, in my opinion, I guess, samples that I felt, you know, just progressively got better and just really showed off what it was that I wanted to be doing and that were unique and original. They were all very big concept, big world ideas. Even then, you know, and I was going on all of these generals and meeting with all of these execs and they were like, we love your script, but I still couldn't get a showrunner meeting. I couldn't get into these rooms because it's just so competitive. And ultimately for me, the way that I ended up breaking out of my animation box was to develop something of my own and really going out and pitching, finding a producer who totally believed in this idea 
and doing it that way, which is also a really difficult route to go, you know, at the end of the day, for me, at least it paid off, which is great. (laughs) And how do you deal with the kind of instability of the profession going from job to job, taking these freelance things? Wine, (laughs) wine and whining. Um, It's really hard. I honestly, like I said, I came from an acting background and I was used to instability from that. And when I got my first staff job, I was like, that's it. I'm a writer and I'm going to be working forever. And this is amazing. And literally like when I was on Puss in Boots, the show ended on a Friday and I started Trolls on Monday. Like it was seamless. And then when I left Trolls, I was subsisting off of freelance for a year and a half. And freelance is amazing when the shows are on. And then when the shows end, you know, you're really hustling for your next gig. And it's really difficult. It's really mentally draining. It's pretty soul sucking. I spent a lot of time curled up in a ball on my couch watching a lot of TV. But at the end of the day, I'm really thankful for that time that I ended up having because I wrote two pilots in a feature. I packaged up a pilot to pitch and ultimately sold it. I wouldn't have been able to do what I did without that time and without that kind of like hunger that, you know, being unemployed kind of lights a match under you. But I also think it's really important that when you do have a job and when the work is steady, save your money. Because (laughs) a coworker of mine was the first one to be like, you need a 401k, you know, on an assistant salary. It's really hard to take a sliver out of your already tiny, tiny paycheck. And for me, I think the only reason that I have lasted as long as I have is because when I was making money, I saved all of it. And so I think that that is just something to be really cognizant of. When when times are good, there will be tough times perhaps and, and you really have to prepare for them. Do you have any tips on self-care besides wine? Oh, I mean wine, but not too much wine, <laughs> I think is the... Yeah, I am a big schedule person. I always make a to-do list, crossing things off. It's really just about giving yourself a break, but also being like, here are the things that I need to accomplish today to get me where I want to be. But then knowing that there are some things that are out of your hands and you can't beat yourself up. For instance, I, and I think this is something that happens in the industry frequently. I had a showrunner meeting and I was offered the job. And then a week later they came back and they actually changed their mind and they were going with someone else. Just things like that where it's like a gut punch and you need to give yourself. And that was one of the bigger disappointments. There were tons of little, you know, like, no, we're not buying your show. We're, you know, I was trying to write for magazines. And it's like, no, we're not, you know, picking up your pitch. And it's really just taking a moment to be like, well, this sucks and letting yourself feel that. And then the next day, no, I've got to get back to work because you can really dwell in that when you're alone in your home. <laughs> mm-hmm. At least there's always Survivor. Oh my goodness. There is always Survivor. <laughs> we need to do that Survivor Hollywood yeah. thing we were talking about where it's just a bunch of writers and actors trying to make it. <laughs> it's going to be very depressing. It yeah. is. You know what's so funny? It's this season, Mike White is on the show. Yep. And I guess two, two or three seasons ago, there was another writer on the show, but yeah, David, David. Yeah. yeah. But I thought that one of the most interesting things about 
Mike White was, he said in his interview, he was like, we need to get this guy off because the audience right now is watching from home and they are going to be like, what are you doing? And no one ever references the audience. No one ever references that there are viewers, that there are people at home who are like, you guys are making the wrong moves. And I just thought that was so interesting from a writer's perspective to be like, what is the audience thinking of what Mm -hmm. I'm doing? It just was so on brand. I loved it. (laughs) It's very meta. It is. It's true. It's a good show. Yeah. So you mentioned developing a show and taking it out to pitch. Can you walk us through that process with the the show that you recently sold to Freeform? Yeah. So the process itself, I think the way that I so I pitched I pitched another show a little less formally in the past. So I knew that I had to kind of make up a Bible that had what this world was and who these characters were, what the pilot was, and then I always like to throw in some episodes or some arcs for their our characters for the first season. So I'd done that in the past, but doing it for this show, it's a big world. Like I said, I'm very into the kind of the sci-fi genre writing now. And you really have to craft, you know, what are the rules of this world? What does it look like? You know, what is society like? What is the currency? What Just really give us a visual, a window into what this world is. And so doing that, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of drafts of creating this Bible. It was something that the people I pitched to never saw. It actually just ended up being my roadmap for the pitch. But I liked to fill it with pictures and, and images and, and make it look aesthetically pleasing so that it felt really formal and real. But yeah, it's a really tricky process. I personally love it because I just love talking to people and I get really excited about my ideas, but it's draining. You get home and whew, cause you, you know, it's a 20 minute pitch. And then for the rest of the hour you're there and they're asking you all these questions and really not trying to pick apart your idea, but just sometimes they have questions and maybe you don't know the answers. You're, you're just performing for an hour and Oh my God, it's so draining, <laughs> but it's great. I love it. I, I would pitch all the time. I think it's fun. Do you feel there are specific uh, elements that you need to convey in your pitch? Yes. I think it's very important to have a hook. Some people like to start their pitches with, this is why this pitch is important to me. And you know, I was walking in as a writer who's only been staffed in animation and fairly young And like, why do they care what this means to me? You know what I mean? So my thought is I want to hook you with some sort of teaser or image or something that just really ropes you in and then kind of delve into the world of the show and the characters and the pilot. And I always like to as well say, here's how I feel like the show should end. I think that's really important because when I'm writing, I always like to know where I'm writing to. And so I think that for people who are going to buy the show, I think it's important to know what the end of the show is that they're buying. You want to give them all you got, but not be confusing. It's just like they need to buy the show. And that is that is what you want them to be feeling when they leave the room. But many people didn't feel that way <laughs> when they left <laughs> the room. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. And when you're out pitching it to the town, you're probably going to a bunch of different networks and mm-hmm. studios and things like that. Are you tailoring the pitch individually to each of them? Or are you just kind of presenting the one thing and saying you either like it or you don't? Yeah, you definitely tailor it, I think. Or in the beginning more so, we tailored it. You know, if you're going to like a broadcast network, you want it to be more episodic. If you are 
going to a streamer, you want it to be bingeable. Like, I think that you definitely do that a little bit. For me, this show, I've always have seen it at Freeform. Like, that for me was the goal. And so uh, it's just nice when you see it at a place and they're like, oh, yeah, this is us. That's (laughs) kind of kismet, I guess. So I don't know how much you can kind of say at this point, but what is the process after selling a show into development? Is it just a, a lot of writing drafts? Is it How does it all work? So I can't speak too much like specifically, but I think that more generally, if they're buying the series, then the goal is that you want to create a pilot. So you're basically writing a pilot with their notes and direction in mind. And, you know, then after that, if they respond well enough to the pilot, I think really depends now. We're kind of in a world where some places make pilots now, some places don't. But if they're making a pilot, they will shoot that pilot and then ultimately decide whether or not they're going to pick that pilot up. And I think like with the streamers and stuff, I think it just kind of varies nowadays. But that's the general course of action is now I'm I'm writing the pilot. So on that, what are your plans for the future? Do you have any future goals in your career? Of course, always. I want to ultimately have my own show. I mean, realistically, I want to be Greg Berlanti, uh, doesn't everyone? <laughs> so, you know, that's the goal is to just keep coming up with original ideas and keep churning out content that hopefully people respond well to. And I think that all I can do is my best. And so my goal for this year was to sell the show to a network and that happened and that's amazing, but it easily couldn't have happened and it wouldn't have been on me for not doing enough or not doing it well enough. There's a lot of things in this industry that are out of your hands. And I think that yeah, all you can do is your best. So that's all I'm going to keep doing, right? The best pilot I can. And really anything else is, you know, icing on the cake. And I have a bunch of other shows that I want to pitch. One that I think we'll start pitching next year and another one that we'll go out and then we'll pitch. And yeah, I just want to make stuff that people want to watch and I want to keep working because (laughs) I have not before and it's not fun. So, you know, really whatever I can get my hands on. All right, before we go, we have a couple of final questions. Uh, number one, what are you watching on TV right now? This is kind of embarrassing, but I preface this by saying, and it's not that embarrassing, but I preface this by saying that I've been, um, anytime that I'm either developing a show or a new idea, I you know, watch other things that are similar. And so I'm working on a project right now, and I was like, I should watch the pilot of Vampire Diaries. I'm now like on season three (laughs) and I can't stop. It's so, I I don't know why I just can't stop. It's for work. (laughs) It's for work. Right. But I do this. I mean, I did this a couple months ago with the blacklist. Like I was like, Oh, I should watch the pilot. Oh, I should watch the first season and see how it develops. Like deep into season six, you know, I should watch the (laughs) spinoff. So that is the big one. I mean, obviously survivor, I pretty much watch everything. Like I watched the Jack Ryan. I watched Miss Maisel. I watched the bodyguard, like whatever people are talking about, like, Oh, this is a show you should be watching. And it's bingeable. Cause that's my favorite type of show. I really just go to town. Yeah. Do you have any final advice for uh, aspiring TV writers or working TV writers out there? 
Yeah, I guess I would just say that don't give up. Keep working, keep writing, keep reading, keep watching. It's a really tough industry, but honestly, like things can change in the blink of an eye and you're going to get a lot of no's, but all you need is one yes. And then you need another yes after that. So, I mean, you're really, (laughs) it's all about persistence and, you know, preparing for the downtime and celebrating the successes that you have. This is the best industry to be in. And in my opinion, it's so fun. And you're, you're writing TV, uh, you're writing movies, you're writing entertainment. So I think that it should always be fun. And if it's not fun anymore, find a way to make it fun. And lastly, do you have any resources, be it books, websites, apps, anything you can think of that may prove useful to our listeners? Buy Save the Cat because I never did. (laughs) (laughs) At Barnes & Noble specifically. (laughs) It'd be that one dog-eared copy that you've been using all those years ago. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I Google a lot of resources. I think, yeah, really Save the Cat has been, especially for features, I use the beat sheet every time I write a feature. And I think just in terms of TV, you want like it's for drama anyway. And for sci-fi, like I'm always looking for what is a cliffhanger act out? Like, how can I make sure these people don't change the channel? That is my biggest advice. Keep it, keep it interesting. Keep it fun. Keep it concise. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. But before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get exclusive content, opportunities, and merch, and we can keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks for tuning in, and thanks to Julia for joining us. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. This was very fun. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 120, including the link to the Cinemorgue wiki. Uh, If you want to leave us a review, uh, you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all those reviews will help us attract new listeners and build our community. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Uh, Where can our listeners find you on social media? I think it's just at Julia Yorks at everything. The 2019 script pipeline season is now open, and writers can submit by March 1st for a reduced entry fee. Script pipeline finalists and winners receive extensive long-term industry exposure, and they have one of the biggest grand prizes for writing worldwide at $50,000. Learn more at scriptpipeline.com. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we'll be doing an episode on cold contacting people and writing a proper query for your script and yourself. We'll see you then.